0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gunna people. I pay my respects to their Elders past, present and emerging.
1: Now, as much as I love a Pinot, Pinot mosh pit as it was at the Royal Exhibition buildings and 4,000 people drinking one great variety is wild. Um, it, it, it went, we're certainly not going back that way. We've come back to a bit more session-based and just pulling it back.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. If you work in wine, chances are you know Dan Sims. If you don't, I question your integrity. Dan does it all. He is the founder and CEO of Rebel Global, the company behind those epic food and wine events. He is an artist in all things beverage communication and engagement. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, Shantae. What an intro. And i also got to say I'm a massive fan of your podcast and I'm so grateful to have the chance to chat to you today. This is bit, I'm very humbled.
0: Oh, that is so kind of you and I've been wanting to get you on here for some time and I know, well, you're a busy man and I say that to a lot of people, but you really are a busy man. I was looking at what I was going to ask you and I thought, you know what? It's probably easiest to say, is there anything in the beverage industry that you don't do? I don't make wine. I never. You've never made a wine.
1: Well, it. I've I've never made a wine, and I say that as a caveat. Um, I did do a wine in Argentina, um, a Malbec, but I won't say I made it because that would be disrespectful for uh winemakers. But as a, a very good friend of mine, Lincoln Riley, once said to me, he said Dan, we're not winemakers, we're wine stylists, uh, and very uh thing. But I ha- I don't make wine. Um, and it's it's a hard thing making wine, and I have too much respect for those amazing wine people to try and uh, to do that. But I, um, but yeah, there's there's so much to do in wine, right? Like there's there's so many avenues of it, and I think it's all part of it is that curiosity around wine in general, right? I think. But, yeah, I'll leave winemaking to the winemakers.
0: <laughs> well, that's the only thing I could think of because for everything else, you have had a hand in Nelly, all the other facets of the industry. But we have to start somewhere. So, take me back to the beginning. How did your intrigue in wine all begin?
1: Jeez, it's going a fair way back. I think I was working in um, a restaurant uh, in Hampton. And it was a just a great suburban restaurant, but it was – run by uh, two brothers uh, who'd worked uh, – one of them had worked at the Latin uh, in Melbourne. Um, and I just – I was doing what, as you do, Finished school. Um, I went to uni. I was very bad at it. Uh, I wasn't – well, I didn't really find my place there, but it, it was – I was curious about hospitality and then I just got curious about wine and I, were very, I was very lucky that they – I said that to one of the brothers and they took me under their wing and started showing me or, and different wines and, and got me and got me intrigued. And I think – and again, I say that I say that word curious a bit. It really sparked that curiosity, and I was intrigued. It was like, well, how does this work? What, why is it different? And you know, where does it all come from? And I, I think that was really the catalyst of it, and then just went from there. And you know, I went to market, went to wine regions as you do, and and then got to work with um, uh, great restaurants and even retail and, and and tasting and learning and listening. I think that was really that was really it. Is that the short version? (laughs) My memory serves me correctly.
0: You actually you summed it up really well. How did you back then? You know it back then. I make you sound really old. It is back then.
1: I joined a board. I was invited to join a board of Wine Victoria and then I officially said, that's it. I'm now officially old. (laughs) I've I've reached that point. Someone has asked me to join a board. I'm actually old.
0: (laughs) No, you're just the wisest person there. I love it. So how did you go about kind of going, okay, I'm interested in wine. I'm curious. I know I've got to do some reading. How else did you go about starting then? Because there wasn't perhaps as many um, really established avenues of how to go about being a sommelier then. I mean, there was a little bit, but tell me a little bit about the process then.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. There wasn't the more established training courses like WSET and Court of Master Sommeliers. They just weren't around. And at the time I did um, just a couple of Wine courses that are available at the time, Um, but then it was really learnt on the on the ground in restaurants. And I was lucky enough to work with some really great people and be mentored. Um, And and it was really from opening up bottles and tasting, and I've been asking questions, doing a huge amount of reading, doing a lot of tasting, and doing a lot of listening. Um, And I think that's the that was really the biggest thing. Then was just listening to. How people spoke about wine, uh, how they communicated it, uh, and really then trying to fine tune that to how you took that information and condensed it, and then communicated to that people in the restaurant. And that was the that was always the one that that was always the part that really got me interested. Was wine is in essence something really simple and amazing and beautiful, but we turn to make it into something so insanely complicated and insanely nerdy because you you can't help but do it because the the more you learn about wine the more you realize how much you don't know and the more enthusiastic you get the more you want to tell people how much you've learned and share that enthusiasm but for some people it's (laughs) it's just one glass of wine in a restaurant and and have a meal so it's how to yeah it was really sort of a lot of on the on the ground training at that time but then um uh, you know, I've done we set one and two, and I with a quarter I was joined uh, the team with Sommeliers Australia at the time, and we were doing a huge amount of tastings there. Uh, and then the quartermaster Sommeliers came out, and again I was one of the first crew to, to do that uh, one and two or the and and then really that was sort of uh, that was really the catalyst of having a lot more education opportunities for younger Sommeliers to come up through the ranks. It was more uh, structured. Uh, than it certainly was then.
0: I mean, you've been so integral in developing, you know, the industry and, and the familiar kind of um, experience in Australia. But I want to go back a little bit to what you're talking about in in a restaurant floor. Um, you were named familiar of the year in 2008. What was your time like on the floor, and what did you what did you love about being on a restaurant floor, and and what were some of the things that you perhaps didn't love so much?
1: I. Because it's been so long since I've worked in restaurants, I have a wonderful nostalgic view of it. Um, And I worked at, I suppose, when I was lucky enough to get that award, I was actually working at 15 in Melbourne. Um, uh, That's the Jamie Oliver restaurant. And... But really probably what it came back for was when I was at Taxi Dining Room and we uh, had got um, Restaurant of the Year the year before and we had a really big list and we had a really good crew. So I think working in restaurants, was one, it was the excitement of sharing amazing wine because Melbourne at the time was really embracing a whole range of different uh, food cultures Uh, uh, and and that's from all over uh, the world, which was amazing. So uh, as a result, there was more uh particularly european wines coming in so uh and then also at the same time there was this interest in australian wine of different varieties and all that so there was this really sort of groundswell um of really exciting things happening and i think the one thing i really miss is the camaraderie uh yeah yeah there was it was all it was like we were all in this together kind of vibe i know that sounds a little bit you know, again, rose colored glasses kind of thing. and But we all worked hard. We played hard. Um, but we. I think we also worked together. So we would regularly catch up with uh, mates at other restaurants, um, whether it be Circa or anywhere really, uh, and we'd catch up after work and taste wines and just get interesting bottles and talk about it. Uh, and I think I really miss that um, connection with people. And then also the, the customers as well. Like you, you've always – that, yeah, I was really bad. I could never remember customers' names, but I could remember their faces and what they drank. And and again, um, I think it was that just, again, excitement of really exciting wines. But again, the people were generally curious about it and how do you take a complex question and then summarize it up in 30 seconds to a minute because really that's the role of the sommelier. You know, they've got to... You got a list of you know taxi. We had two and a half thousand wines. We had to find what somebody wanted within their price point, matched to their dish within thirty seconds to a minute. And I think that was the real challenge that I really like. I I really enjoyed, and I I hope and I think I have, and I've taken that for what we do today. Still, is in that uh, with events, uh, whether it be Palooza or Mole Cheese Festival or even piccolo recently is how do you take a, a a very complex topic and condense it not you know well sometimes people in mind talk about we want to dumb things down i hate that word that just gives such disrespect to the people who are in front of you i think it's it's a, a way to simplify the message and empower them to make a decision and feel comfortable in that decision I think that's the real trick and I I hope we still do that's really what I still take through to today with the events that we do does that answer your question
0: (laughs) it definitely does it definitely does and I'm so passionate about this as well Um, I feel like we really align when we talk about um, getting to the heart of the messaging and like you said not it's simplifying it's also just making it accessible but I want to ask you what does excellent wine service look like to you
1: Oh, gee, great question. Really great question. Um, excellent wine service is present when it needs to be and <laughs> uh, and it's just it's almost an anticip- they anticipate where that uh, customer is going. I think fundamentally, yes, absolutely I want knowledge. Um, yes, I want excellent service skills. You know, these are all tick-in-the-boxes. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm here to have dinner with my beautiful partner or my friends. I'm not there to be lectured or educated. I'm there to maybe to be sparked um, with conversation around that. Um, but it's 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 like anything. the best service is the one you don't even notice, right? You go to a restaurant, and everything just works seamlessly, and you like. This is great. Like the, the, the service staff, they were there, and then they weren't, and then it was all, it all just flowed really well. And I think like any front of house person, you, you, you go for – you always chase that perfect service where everything just works and you never get it, right? You never get there, but you sort of – you chase it. So I think, when again, back to services that, that, that's seamless really, that's, that, that also listens to what I'm saying and and provides me with a an experience that I'm looking for and can potentially take me out of my comfort zone a little bit but not too far out um, does it, yeah does that make sense
0: it absolutely does and I, I'm really glad that you mentioned the word education and that it's not a part of it because I still hear a lot of people today say we're similiars are there to educate. And I totally disagree with that because I do think they have a lot of information, but you're not there for a schooling. You really are there for an experience. And so that should help you on your way to have a wonderful experience. And And you're right. It's about adaptability, isn't it? It's like, read read the customer, read what they're there for, and then provide it. And so you have to be a chameleon. You have to be able to change your colours and, and and, you know, you know, read what's happening and then go, how do I make you have a great experience whatever it is
1: yeah totally you don't know who that person is in front of you you don't know their experience um and and you know i've too many times i've heard you know when some wanker sommelier starts telling this person about what the wine is and all that and they end up being the winemaker uh you know so it's like (laughs) he's like well no that's wrong because i made it um but it's it it is the education I, i like the word empower um because it's 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 enabling that person to make it to make a decision based on you know their their own comfort zone. Um, and if a similiar can do that in a restaurant situation, fantastic. If I'm looking to explore and go, hey, let's take me on a journey here. Uh, absolutely, go for it. And sometimes you're going to hit it, sometimes you won't. But you, you know, there, there's a mutual sort of understanding of yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in your hands. Let's go. But also as you said, be a chameleon, observe, observe that person. I think that's that's really an essence of hospitality in general, right? You've got to observe the room um, and listen to what the customer is saying. Again, I go back to my early days and learning about wine I was listening a lot. Uh, hearing what they're saying, and go, well, actually, yeah, this, this person said this, okay, maybe we could take them there. Um, but, again, still be able to ta- take all that information, distill it down in a very – uh, a, a very succinct and understandable way.
0: Sounds easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it totally is. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's an adage anyway. It's like, it's like you know, even with sort of public speaking or they say, yeah, you know, it's not about you, it's not about you, it's not about you. Uh, I think that's that thing at the core, really. it's Again, another familiar mate said to me once, uh, again, Lick and Riley, so don't, to a young dun som who is probably getting a little bit you know push you with certain things is, and I don't know if I can say this you might need to edit this out I uh, said so, mate this this wine list, this wine list is not your Venice wet dream um, this is uh, we're here to service the people take them on a journey with a level of expectation but still uh, give them something with comfort um, and service and hospitality really.
0: Mm. Oh, whoever said that is my absolute champion I love that <laughs> and people need to hear it's it more. So good. <laughs> I mean, Lincoln if,
1: Riley. Again, Lincoln Riley is the word with the frame of wisdom.
0: Oh, bless him, bless him. You've always championed, championed that accessibility of wine and you are, have so much humility. But in a restaurant setting, do you also think that it, there is a place for a bit of tenacity and a little bit of a place for ego? Is that necessary sometimes?
1: Gee, ego. Um, ego. Maybe if we reframe the word ego and to call it confidence, I think in hospitality there is a lot of ego and ego can go down to a world of, when I think ego, I think the bad parts of hospitality to a point and that goes into bullying and all of that stuff which, again, you know, I come from that. Uh, probably towards the tail end of that generation of hardcore militant chefs. Um and so, we, so yeah, so there's probably a bit of a triggering thing, but I think absolutely you need confidence. Um, uh, it's absolutely confidence. Yeah, I think that's part of it because you've got to back yourself, um, and you have to be confident because you're stepping on the stage of the restaurant floor. There's, there's got to, you've got to really back yourself. And again, for a chef or putting out a dish or recommending a wine, that is confidence because you're backing yourself. And you're saying that this is what I recommend, and this is what I I put myself behind that. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean about ego, but I, I just, yeah, you know, for me, I see that part as, um, that that goes down a very different path of hospitality, which I hope and uh, and has been changing a lot. Um, and that's when I say, yeah, it, it and that goes into a particularly male dominated, um industry in the past and thank god that is changing significantly however there's still that undercurrent um yeah.
0: yeah i think ego does have a negative connotation even if we kind of look at the word and think more personality traits so i like that you said confidence because i always found it was walking a fine line between humility accessibility but then also as a woman i also found that need for confidence and um, assertiveness when, you know, perhaps I was, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, being pushed over a little bit by a particular strong-willed customer that wanted to let me know that, you know, as a woman, I probably didn't know what I was talking about. I always found I was like, okay, that that's when I need a little bit more of that kind of strong, assertive Poise to make sure that I I can I can command um, a little bit of respect as well. So I think you put that very well because you're right. We and you've always championed women. You've always um, you know really had a place and a voice um, for making it a very respectful and um, inclusive um, society, which I really appreciate about you. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I, I hope uh, it's yeah. I – let's face it women are better tasters they've got better palates they uh, you know uh, they're just they're actually generally better at it um and uh, and i hope it it is as you said like that that experience from what you you've had from from whether it be restaurants and customers and also wine people in general is that that assumption that you don't know enough because of your gender just fucking pisses me off uh and has always annoyed me and, and, you know, thankfully, you, you know, yourself and you know to your generation of sommeliers coming up through the ranks have really, really ch- championed that and, and proved all the naysayers so wrong. Uh, and you know, it's not, we're not there yet. Um, But it's certainly, I like to think, a lot further along than it has been. And and then again, we're always reminded of certain things in the media that pop up, and not so long ago, uh, where we have uh, older white male commentators throwing, saying stupid shit, and you go, oh, come on, guys. Like, seriously, are you that stupid? The world has changed. Move on. Just move on.
0: Yeah, it's never been never more present. To the has it. <laughs> Too funny.
1: Oh, seriously! You open up. I opened up my social media the other day, and going, "You've got to be kidding me! <laughs> oh, Are you that stupid?
0: Go to say something like that? Crazy! We got, and I'm sure everyone knows who we all talking about. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I love that we got deep. We got, we got, we got right there real quick, and I'm, I'm happy because of it. Um, I want to ask. You've had plenty of experience in media and wine journalism. I mean, I've got a million questions for you, so I'm going to have to like move through them. Otherwise, I, you know, I can't extract everything I want from you. Tell me about your experience in, in wine journalism.
1: Gee, I wouldn't call myself a wine journalist. Uh, probably a wine ranter, if anything. Um, I think when I, if I write anything about wine, it's, uh, it, it's probably, it's pro- I hope it, hope it comes from the heart. right? If, I, if I'm genuinely enthusiastic about something, uh, I can't help it say that but in terms of wine journalism especially from coming from a similar background and i've asked this question a lot and maybe i've asked this to you once i can't remember but when i give these great songs going i've been asked to write a tasting note for a magazine or a publication i go awesome who did you think of when you wrote that tasting note was it the person you spe- you see on a daily basis in the restaurant floor or did you think of another wine writer reading your review, and I can tell you a hundred percent of the time, it switches to the, the another wine writer, and that's that's the challenge. It's like, hang on a minute, that's a problem because that goes into um, one. Uh, you know, you're you're an excellent communicator because you do it on a daily basis, and you've just dismissed that skill. Um, because then, and then you're automatically thinking of, uh, generally, dare I say, an older and predominantly male-dominated wine media landscape, judging your tasting notes. So you're trying to appeal to that audience, who barely make up one percent of the wine drinking public, and that's <laughs> that's the problem. So, if anyone's writing about why, and there's some, so many amazing writers, is having a fresh voice and thinking about the person in front of them every single time, um, if there was any bit of advice, you, 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 it would be that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's anytime you're writing, you're thinking about who's reading this? Who am I doing this for? What, what are they going to get out of it? And if it's a bunch of... Um boo hockey that hardly anybody understands I mean that doesn't serve anybody nobody's buying that wine if they can't understand the language around it and that that brings me down to accessibility um and you, and it's something that you you talk about a lot and it's something that you do sensationally it's in everything that you do um talk about a little bit about education and mentorship and, and what that means to you
1: oh everything um everything uh, I mean, I've been very privileged in, in, in my career to have, you know, access to some great mentors and I will always be and always to any sommelier out there, my door, email, phone is open um, to any sort of advice that I can, can, can share but not from a point of like I know everything, I don't. I certainly don't. Um, but mentorship is key. Uh, and and I think with mentorship comes a, a place of feeling comfortable and safe, uh, and not judged. Uh, and again, that probably brings back into that question around empowerment um, of helping and confidence. And if you can help somebody um, be empowered with knowledge and confident in their role, they're they're only going to grow and excel, and and create creating a a culture around, um, and in this context I say education because you do have to, there is an educational point with you know, learning about why now there's, there's books and reading and all that type of thing. Yes, absolutely, but still maintaining yourself and your own personality to, to grow and develop with your own opinions, I think that's key. And I think my only, oh, sometimes I get nervous sometimes where there's an emphasis on, One particular style of education, like you have to do this, whether it's the quartermaster similars or WSET yeah, absolutely, they have a significant and important place. But don't lose yourself uh, and your own personality. Don't become a robot. (laughs) So it's we want we you want that personality to come through, And, and mentorship is key. Like it really, it really is so anyone out there just drop me a line
0: <laughs> i love that and i love that and it, it, and you're right it, sometimes i hear younger people say there's you know no one to look for it and i think that it comes uh in both parts that you need to put yourself out there by asking for help or asking for someone to guide you putting yourself forward but also people like yourself saying hey I, i'm I'm, I am available, you know, it's, you know, you just need, you know, and, and saying that is really important. But did you have someone that you feel has mentored you over the, or there's someone that you look to?
1: Oh, so many. Um, and as a matter of fact, a lot of them are women. Um, Angie Bradbury uh, would probably be one of my greatest friends and mentors. Um, she has helped guide me, uh, especially in terms of my business, hugely, um, has given me the confidence to, to do what we've done um, massively. Um, another friend of mine, Justin Bloom, who was an incredibly smart brand strategist, um, uh, really helped me understand what we were trying to do, what the essence of what Pinot Palooza was and helped me distill down all of that information. Um, and then in terms of wine, uh, you know, I have been mean, like, it's, again, I've been very privileged from a lot of, um, you know, a number of male, uh, you know, wine hospitality people, um, from across from from winemakers to whatever. There's there's a number, um, but yeah, that this. And I think what I took from, learnt a lot from people like Angie and Just and Juz, Justine was that the role, the importance of empathy in. What we're trying to do, and and a reminder of hospitality first, uh, and not and not ego. Um, that sometimes it is that competitive nature in wine a lot with, um, especially with the male-dominated industry that that ego comes into play. And I'll, I'll tell this story briefly. There was this one moment, and I, I was, and it was you know when you work hard industry and you get to a point and uh, you're a wine table and you know I've worked so hard to get there and do all this And, and I had that moment of clarity where I looked around the room and they were all men and I kind of said to myself I don't like you I don't like you and I actually really don't like you what the fuck am I doing here and and I just – and I and I, just, and then I, and I started to question going, hang on, this is what I'm supposed to work my career to do, and I just – and I had to step away because it was just like that's not who I am. I've – I don't feel comfortable the anxiety that I had every single time I'd go into that room with those people. It was just really unhealthy. I just wanted to be surrounded by people who were uh, more like me and, and confident of – and be surrounded by something that was – my, my friends and family, it was gender balanced and curious and, and that's really what I wanted to do because it wasn't representative of the day-to-day that I saw from festivals or events or my hospitality brethren. Um, you know, I think it's that, yeah, it's, uh, mentorship is key, getting the right mentors and I think now that there are a lot of really great uh, people out there who are there to help. And just asking, I suppose I, we bring it back to hospitality. It's like the hardest thing in, if you're in a hard service is putting your hand up and saying, hey, my section's going down, like I'm going down, you know, but it's key because if you don't, the whole restaurant goes down as a result. So, you you know, being confident enough to go, hey, my section's going down, no problem. And as soon as anybody said that, you had a brigade of people behind you backing you up and supporting you. It wasn't about oh that person's doing a shit job. It was like no, let, let, we're all in this together. Let's go. Like you need a hand. No worries, we'll help you because you knew that if that person who helped you asked for help, you would be there in a heartbeat. Um, I think that's what good mentoring should be. Is if somebody said oh, I would like to be mentored, you've got my attention, and I'll help. Because even that point, that that first part is 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 a big step.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. And I love what you said about hospitality because I think what hospitality in essence does really well is hospitality of our own specific club. And it's a club of experience and heartache and hard work and – service and dedication to other people and then we do that really well in looking after our own team which is saying you know we went through it together we're in this we're going to come out the other side and it's and like you said it's you know it kind of like going that feeling of going to war with other people and then kind of yeah <laughs> surviving you know <laughs> um
1: it is it it, it it 100% is and and again it's like it's the whole when I say restaurants or hospitality it's the entire brigade you know, um, And, you know, being front of house is also hard. Being a chef is hard, you know. Chefs don't have a monopoly on stress and anxiety in hospitality. They don't. Uh, and that stems from all aspects of the business. So I get a little bit uh, triggered when I just hear very chef-focused stories about hospitality. It's like, hang on, mate. Like, <laughs>
0: I I can tell you some stories. (laughs) Absolutely. I always say that too. I say, you know, you know, you're dealing with like-minded individuals that are all back here and we're dealing with the front of house, which is humans. And do you know how erratic and random they are? Like, they are so random. (laughs) You don't know what they want or what they're going to do next. And and humans are just the most bizarre, you know, species ever.
1: Oh, open kitchens were the greatest invention of hospitality ever. Like, because then all of a sudden you couldn't hide. And, again, from my time in restaurants, so I'd take my chef, you know, they've said this about this, well, just tell them to get fucked. It was like, oh, you know, thanks, that's really helpful. You know, that's, that's really helpful. Um, you know, well, you, you know, come on. Like, you, that, that's, not, that's not a result. That's not an answer. And, yeah, open, open kitchens the best inventions ever. <laughs>
0: Mm, Yeah. You're like, look at this crazy person I'm dealing with. Look at this. (laughs) Oh, so true. Um, Talking about, I want to talk about Bottle Shop Concepts, which you established in 2013. Now, that has been no small undertaking. Tell me about the journey of 2013 and where you are today. I know it's a lot to cover, but give it a go.
1: I've probably spent a lot of time with my therapist talking about that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, well, yeah, Bottlesh was an idea of, um, uh, came from just wanting to get into, jump into festivals. Um, and the first festival we did was Pinot Palooza, and that was back in 2012. Um, and I had another business, uh, which I, I, I sort of separated from my then business partner, and then just wanted to go ahead and make this. Um, all about it and bottle shop concepts came from trying to find a a name for this new business and I typed in bottle shop proprietary limited into the ABN search and it was available and I was like what how did bottle shop PTYLTD in Australia be available as as a name for a a, a company so I was like okay great we'll take that Um, but the whole idea about it was to focus on wine events um, and so we did Pinot Palooza uh, and, yes, Game of Thrones, uh, which, was, which is such a lull, you know, and, uh, and then really grew from there. Um, and, and it was funny. <laughs> Game, but, again, Game of Thrones, it sounds so silly. Like, honestly, like, uh, um, people, would, people would dress up. I never said to anyone to dress up for this event. People would, like, punters and producers would dress up and we'd just taste wine. It was so ridiculous. However, the whole idea of it was to make it fun and accessible, um, and the greatest I think compliment I ever had from a, from a guest who said at, at Game of Rones because she was walking around looking a bit sort of nervous. I said, Hi, can I help you? Um, and she said, "Yeah, I, I've never been to a wine tasting before. And I was like, "Oh, awesome, Come here, let's go. Like uh, you know I think there was that that way of sort of because it was so silly, people could be feel feel comfortable, and that was a really good gateway. Um, I figured if they could come to Game of Thrones, then they would go to Pinot Palooza and then they, then they would go to Rootstock. Um, you know, and that, you know, which oh, I miss Rootstock. It's still one of the greatest food and wine events ever in Australia. Um, and then we re- rebranded Bottle Shop Concepts to Revel, I think, in 2017. And, that's, I suppose, really was sort of growing, and growing, and we we did sake matsuri. Uh, we had a Greek wine event called Enophilia. We did a Malbec day. Yeah, it was all very much based around um, wine, but and then of course mold. Um, uh, we did that in 2017, and and now it's the same size and scale as what Pinot Palooza is. It's uh, it's incredible. So uh, you know, it's been it's been a journey, but um, I, I like to think that we're still. Okay, this sounds so wanky marketing speak, but I, I still think we're in hospital. We're in hospitality first. Um, I like to. I hope that we, you know, we we see uh, we literally run a, um, a, like a an event like we would run a restaurant service. We brief half an hour beforehand. The first and last impressions are absolutely critical. Uh, all of those things. Uh, in essence, it's that idea of hospitality and making it fun and accessible and. At the start, I would always say to winemakers, you know, if I hear any um, mention of biome Levels, Trellising Systems, malactic Fermentation or any other winemaking bullshit, I'll give you a red card. You know, it's tell them about who you are, why you're here, why you love what you do, and what's special uh, about your place because people connect to people. Um, they don't connect to stainless steel tanks. And, um, and it's like, oh, you know, and that's the thing was I remember, you know, trying, you know, young SOMs and go, uh, tell me about this wine, and they'd pick it up and go, "Well, it's picked at 13.5 thirteen point five Baumé. It was primary fermentation stainless steel, and it was transferred to new French oak." And I was like, "I was like, you've just lost me. You've told me nothing about this wine. Um, tell me a story. You've got thirty seconds to a minute in front of somebody. Get it back down to that essence." And that's exactly the same with an event uh, for a wine producer. Um, you know, people say, well, "What do I say?" I so, well, start with hello. <laughs> say hello. Um, you know do you like wine yeah cool what sort of styles do you like okay great you know, start a conversation and 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 help um how we talk you know, from the producer point of view and i get sometimes with wine we, we we have our own language that is so you know we talk about you know the deconstruction and, and wine judging and you know you and, and analytical points you know it, wine show judging is uh, is an autopsy you know, we, we're we're dissecting a product, a glass. Uh, what's in the glass? And then the the trick is we sometimes with wine is we take that analytical dissect wine dissection, and then try to communicate that to a person. You can't sell autopsies <laughs> like you can't sell it like it, it. You know that's going to appeal to I don't know a very small percentage of people. And if they're into autopsies, there's probably something quite weird and wrong with them, but. But I think with the, the, again, going to the events, it was like just tell them a story. You know, why are you there? Everyone's, you know, we could all say that, you know, we're a five-star, you know, holiday-rated winery, you know, specialising in cool climate, viticulture and sustainable practices. What's unique about your story? Um, Why are you here? Um, And I I hope that that's grown and grown. And we're through Revel with things like Pinot Palooza and I think one of the big things that I loved, and and this, I was reminded about this recently because we did a, a new uh, low and zero ALK event called Piccolo um, in February, was was community, um, and you know of building a community of, of winemakers and cheesemakers, and um, uh, and now low and zero it was the start of that community. that we're all doing this together, and you know let let's see what happens and engaging with an audience like that 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 always. Um, that keeps me going in terms of what we do, um, of how do we nurture that audience uh, and, and listen to them go um, both ways uh, and then just continue to grow it. It's, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a journey, Shanta. And let's not talk about, you know, uh, the COVID years. I mean, there wasn't a great period for anybody, but particularly mass gatherings, um, you know, it was a, we were the first to go and the last to come back. Um, but we survived. You know we, we're still here.
0: I can't, I can't even imagine what that was like for you. I thought about you often and thought, you know, what you do is so important because you are able to break down those walls, make a place for everyone to be included. And as someone that attended Pinot Palooza as a paying um entrant and somebody that's also you know contributed um with you. But it was just always such an experience because it was so fun. It was so fun. People are literally tripping over themselves to get in the door and then they just have a great time. And, you know, from comedians to politicians I have met at Pinapalooza and we're all talking wine and we're all comfortable and it is just such a safe place but it is something that's really really hard to do and I, I'll share with you the other day that I had an experience where I came home and I was really frustrated at that I was engaging with a few people about wine and um, they I saw their um, insecurity and and sense uh, that because I was involved in wine I was somehow judging them when something really random just came up about wine and there was, you know, that kind of, oh, Ponzi snobbery, making fun of what I do a little bit. And I came away and I was so upset because I thought, you know, what, what, why am I upset? Does I, do, do I want them to take me seriously? No. What's going on here? And I, I dissected and I thought, I'm just upset that, that that barrier is still there, that somebody doesn't know me, just knows I'm a wine professional and automatically assumes something That, you know, they're not going to be good enough or that they can't talk about wine or that I'm a snob. And I just thought, and that's why it's so important to have these events where we break it down and we get people involved and we go, you know what? If you enjoy wine, that's all that matters.
1: A hundred percent, Shantae. Like, Pinot Palooza, we market Pinot Palooza like a music festival. Game of Thrones, we market it like a TV show. Why? Because... When you ask someone what they think about wine, they feel immediately intimidated. You ask them what they think about music; they don't have the same issue. They'll tell you their favorite producer. Um, that what's your favorite TV show? It, no, like wine. Wine has done an incredible disservice from a product that is gives so much beauty and joy and excitement, but it is made it so elitist that. It, people still feel that now. That's changing, and that's because of really great wine bars and you know and, and festivals and a hot and a group of sommeliers who are coming up and just who just threw the rule book away. Um, but it's like you know, what's your favorite kind of music? Like, there's no right or wrong answer. It's the same with wine. It's really it. And and again, like, <clears throat> I love asking what, what we do for our Pinot Palooza club is ask the winemakers to pick a song. To listen to on the way to the vineyard, and a song to listen to when we drive away, and it's fascinating because you actually start to get to see the true per- the personality uh, of the person underneath it without all of the the wine technical speak. You get to hear an insight into uh, what they listen to on a daily basis, and and again with with wine drinkers, and, and again I, I hate the word consumer. I've never I've, I've really when you talk about wine consumers, I hate that. You know, ca- cows consume, you know, p- people eat and drink and communicate and, and love and, uh, you know, and and get excited. And so I think it's – I like to think of audience and, and people, um, uh, you know, and and making them feel comfortable. Um, and But, yeah, I don't know. I just – it frustrates me with wine sometimes. It's like it's so good, it's so delicious and we make it so – Freaking complicated um you know and yes there's a place for technical and dissections and absolutely it's like watching a you know a Gus Van Sant movie like seven days a week like I can't I couldn't deal with that trauma or David Lynch movie every night of the week you know every time every now and then I just want to watch you know the Avengers or Guardians or or Star Wars like I you know is it a super technical no it's not but it just gives me joy <laughs> like it's just, like, it doesn't, wine doesn't have to be um, uh, a, a a technical experience. It can just be a wonderful, easy, everyday experience. Um, and that's, it doesn't, there's a time and a place. And I think one of the best advice I ever had in wine, and it was, again, by a woman where she said, and she was a bit posh, she said, Daniel, my darling, wine is either a chat, conversation, lecture, or sermon. And at first I thought she was a bit silly, but then I really thought about it. She goes, well, the chat is you're catching up with a mate. What's the wine? Who cares? You're just having a chat. You haven't seen them forever, right? So it's just fueling that chat. Conversation is like if you, you know, if you went to a barbecue, you don't know anybody, it takes something a bit of a story. Um, oh, I discovered this wine, at uh, you know, I, I've, Tasted this wine the last time I was in France and you know, I, I just it's really nice and blah, blah So it's it's a conversation starter. You know, if you wanna get technical you can, but it's just there like it's it's an interest in an interest side of things. Uh lecture, think about it as a, a dinner party. Um, you know, that your friend's gone to a the effort of cooking it with three course meals. So, you know what, take something you, uh, it takes something a bit special as well um, and you sit down and you you have a meal and you let the wine open up and you can probably spend a bit of time talking about it if you want to or if it's it's there, it's a bit more serious. And then there's the sermon which is the stuff that probably we've gone to so many times where it's all about the wine where you're trying to – you've got five wines in front of you and trying to pick the crude burgundies from – it wouldn't be burgundy anymore, we can't afford that. But, you know, you, you've got to pin the tail on the donkey and you're dissecting it. So, you know, if you take the chat – to the you know, to the sermon you'd be laughed out of the room. But if you took the sermon wine to the chat, it would be completely out of context, and you wouldn't get the same experience. You know, wine can be whatever it wants to be. Just for, and I've always said, that the right wine for the right occasion for me is more important than the right wine with the right dish.
0: Yeah, too true. And I love that analogy. It's a, it's a great way to kind of change the perspective a little bit about about it and I I mean I just I wonder if it is so much about language and like you said that you know I I used to kind of sometimes ask guests in restaurants um, not do you like the wine but like how does it make you feel and and I think like you said finding a, a communication line like what are you comfortable because I think it's unfair if someone says in a restaurant you know if you you know, I know we need to communicate what is going to be in the bottle and everything, but we need to find a way to do that for all people. But you know, if someone says I don't like it and they don't have the language to tell you why they don't like it, we have to find another level of like, you know, what what kind of what kind of experience did you want to have from it? Or yeah, like you said, how did it make you feel? If if, if music you can relate to that, then you know. So I I wonder if it is just about language, which is our stumbling block and um. Like I said, I mean, minds like yours are exactly why I, I want to do this podcast and, and why I want to keep doing this because I think that we have so so much further we can go, um, but we have to be dedicated to it and we have to realise that, um, we're like you said, there's, we're not there yet. We need to keep moving.
1: As you said, language is, is key, right, and it's also the people who are talking about it as well. Um, and I, you're so right. I think people know more about wine than they think they do. It's just that they don't, they're being taught or made to feel intimidated about expressing their opinion on it. But everyone's got um, a different olfactory memory, and this is getting a bit nerdy and technical, they've got different ways of describing pretty much the same thing. Like the wine doesn't change. It's just three. Wine people could pick have five wines in front of them and not have the same preferences. Like we can't even figure that out. (laughs) like so how do we uh, you know how do we expect you know all wine drinkers or um consumers such a bad word uh to 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 have the tools to to communicate that but it's but you're right you know it is it's communication and how that's been spoken and you know it's like saying (laughs) i love this once it's like oh the wine it's so the wine's really quiet and it's whispering to you it's like okay well whispering can be two things, right? It can be really quite seductive. It's like, oh, you know, what are they saying? But it can also be really annoying because you're like, I can't hear what you're saying. (laughs) Or creepy. (laughs) Or creepy. Or creepy. Exactly. It could be three things. Uh, So it's different ways. Everyone's got a different way of interpreting what's in the glass because they're different experiences and I think that's great. And maybe that's because I kind of tend to, maybe it's the hospitality in me where I lean into chaos. I'm better in chaos, um uh, you know and peter martin uh he, we worked for such a, so many years amazing communicator with events and we were hospital born and bred you know so where we would be at an event and he's, he'd come up to me and go everything's really smooth isn't it i'm like yeah he goes, i don't like it i'm like neither do i something's like something's going to go wrong is not it i'm like i know quick let's go you know let's let's get ready because it's going to come you know it's that hospitality spidey sense but um
0: Totally, the eye of the storm. It's terrifying. Oh,
1: <laughs> I know chaos. Give me chaos. But look, I think you're so right. And it, it, it's it's language, it's communication, it's uh, being open uh, to and listening to what people are saying, and being cu- being curious. You know, just curious. That that's the biggest thing. If anyone's into why, it's curiosity. It's why we do it. And you know, if we can help empower people. Uh, to make a decision so the next time they go to a restaurant or a wine bar or a bottle shop, um, they feel a little bit more confident about what they're purchasing, job done, job done.
0: Well, I think you are leading as per usual, leading by example and uh, we're grateful for it. Um I mean, I could talk to you all day about this. I'm really getting quite a lot out of this for myself. I should probably think about um, my listeners as well. So talk to me about three drinks for the rest of your life. What are they going to be and why?
1: Oh, I, I, when you said that or you were going to – told me you were going to ask this, I was like, this is such a good question. And I was thinking, what would it be? And I said, one, I have to say I haven't been – for some reason – I'm not drinking a lot of beer these days and I have half a beer and it's really disturbing. But I've been drinking that um, amazing Tina uh, drink, that Zero Alk um, uh, drink. It it is so refreshing. It has become my beer replacement. I just smash cans of that. It is so delicious um, and really refreshing. So that would be one. And I figured the second one, it'd have to be like really nice rosé because you can't drink rosé upset. <laughs> it's pink, and fun, and you know it, it goes across. Um, it could be a pre-dinner, could go with, uh, could go with some you know up to sort of main sort of food on a summer's day on its own with friends in the park. It's it's quite there's a lot of utility uh, with rosé, uh, and and this the styles are are very vast. Uh, and it's really like interesting but also it's a nice drink that I have you know, it reminds me just to just calm down and put it and it puts a smile on your face and then and then I think it's got to be Pinot right like I can't not I have to acknowledge Pinot Noir in all its wonderful varied forms because you get you get um, you know you get fizz out of that and you get you can have white Pinot but you know Pinot Noir um, and of course from Gippsland Pinot being that I'm a I'm now a a fully-fledged Gipster uh, living in South Gippsland. Um, but, again, Pinot Noir because it's, because it's the great variety that excites me the most and also disappoints me the most because, you know, when it's good, it's great, and when it's bad, it's just expensive.
0: Yeah, it's all the emotions. You're right. It's, it's all just emo- it is, it's the roller coaster. It is, oh, and if
1: you give some – like Pinot Noir is one of those varieties that they could be the blokiest of blokes and they start spurting – poetry when they talk about it with a lot of s words you know felt you know sophisticated you know subtle you know it, it's quite funny and it's the it's a, again talk about show judging it's the it's the great variety that polarizes people the most and I, again it's the discussion and the, and the curiosity that comes from it um and heck you know it's, it's sort of it's a variety that has helped probably define my, my career with things like Pinot Palooza and every year there's um there's so many amazing wines and watching um especially Australian Pinot Noir and uh, and of course New Zealand Pinot Noir come to um the front uh the evolution of of, of great Australian and Kiwi Pinot is pretty mind-blowing it's um I
0: drink a lot of it yeah me too <laughs> do you know I I it's it's so, it's so good it's too hard to put into to words really isn't it but um i actually got myself in a bit of trouble the other day because i was working with somebody and uh, I certainly cannot name names, and someone said to me, we want this to be the biggest thing that's happening in wine and the biggest event. And I was like, Palooza is the biggest damn event that's happening in wine. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but you're not even going to come close. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, God, I'm working with these people. Shut up.
1: <laughs> oh, look, it's, it, you know, it, it, oh, Palooza is so much fun. Like, but it also, it got, it got too big. Um, now, as much as I love a Pinot Pinot Mosh Pit, as it was at the Royal Exhibition Buildings, and four thousand people drinking one grape variety is wild. Um, it it, it went, we're certainly not going back that way. We've come back to be more session based and just pulling it back. You know, it's like let's just let's just you know. I don't think post COVID, I was like, oh, that's um, you know. I was looking at photos of Pinot Palooza and they're just packed full of people and it was great. But also I'm like, Oh God, no, that the thought of that just gives me anxiety and, and spittoons. There was black, there was open buckets of people spit everywhere. I'm like, Oh my God. That's so disgusting.
0: some would see opportunity there. What are you talking
1: about? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's good fun. It's always been fun. It's nice. It's nice that it's back and still um, growing and thriving and um, evolving.
0: I'm really glad to hear that for you because, like I said, you know, you guys, you did really get the brunt of it, and I'm thrilled that people are gathering again, and I am thrilled that your events are happening because they are very necessary. They are important in our industry and they're doing wonderful things the world over so congratulations Dan it's been stratospheric chatting to you today and I knew it would be um yeah and I just you know have so much appreciation and and love what you do and um always love having a good old chat to you
1: no oh, mate, Shante, thank you so much And you're an absolute legend I love what you're doing with this podcast I listen so to so many interviews Pretty much all of them um, And what you're doing around uh, Again, your own community here Is is, is potent and uh, exceptional And you're a voice we should be listening to
0: Thank you so much, mate I hope we get to have a drink sometime soon And thank you very much for being on the podcast Cheers to you Cheers This is Over a Glass I'm Shante Whale